All right, let's take our Bibles tonight and go to 1 Kings chapter number 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. And uh, I anticipate this to be brief because my voice is going to give out here in just a little bit. Right now, I'm hovering down there in the bass range. I think Brother Don could use me to sing bass. Um, and I can't normally hit those notes, but I think I can... I at least burp pretty low at this point and get down there. I don't know how well it'll sound, but that's, uh, that's kind of where I am. And, but we'll, we're, we're going to touch on a thought here, put a postpone on the parenting, only um, because I didn't know uh, how long I could be able to go and, and get the message out. So I want to give us uh, some thoughts tonight out of 1 Kings chapter 17. And 18. We'll look at verse number 18 specifically where we'll be, but I want us to see tonight this man Elijah. Elijah the Tishbite, we are told in 1 Kings 17 and verse 1, he appears on the scene and he leaves just about as quickly as he appears. He's, he's the only individual that I can think of in the Bible who's introduced by a conjunction. First time we hear about him is chapter 17, verse 1, and Elijah the Tishbite, as if the Holy Spirit is saying you should know the spirit of this kind of a man, this kind of uh, individual who walks with God. And, and we remember, if you know much about Elijah, you remember your time of reading and, and uh, hearing preaching on Elijah that there was a drought in the land. And uh, he comes on and he challenges the priest of Baal. And Elijah's name means the Lord Jehovah is my God. And this drought for which Elijah prayed, according to James 5 and verse 17, was Elijah's declaration. It was his summoning God to work here against this, or in this war with Ahab and Jezebel as well as the storm god Baal. If the king and the people had actually humbled themselves, God would have sent rain to the land. We know that based upon 2 Chronicles 7, verse 12 through 15. But the drought had three years to go after Elijah confronts him in verse number one and stands before him pronouncing the word of the Lord and what happens to Elijah after he preaches his first message of judgment, his first message that's confrontational? Well, instead of just parking and watching God work, the Bible tells us in verse number three that the word of the Lord comes to him and tells him in verse three, get thee hence and turn thee eastward and hide thyself by the brook Kareth that is before Jordan. You know, a lot of times we would be, well, let me say it this way. I think we would often be surprised as to what God could accomplish if we didn't care who got the credit for it. And Elijah goes and hides himself. And he is now sustained by God during this time of retiring, hiding, pulling away. God leads him. God feeds him. God enables him to help others, including a Gentile widow. You know, when we walk by faith, God will always supply our needs. He will always open the doors of opportunity for us. 
The key, however, is walking by faith. Hebrews eleven six tells us without faith it's impossible to please him. But he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Meaning there's none other. That he is and he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. You know, be sure to trust the provider and not the provision. Because brooks dry up, but God never fails. And this is what Elijah learned during this time. And, and so we find that he's here by the brook and God sustains him using dirty birds and the water from the brook. But the Bible tells us that the brook does dry up. Verse number seven, and it came to pass after a while that the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Now he is suffering because of his own convictions and his own ministry. He's the one who prayed that there'd be no rain. He's the one who's confronted the culture of his day, the king uh, of his day. And while we may not be facing a king per se, our, our situation that we face is culture is our king. And we as God's people ought to be salt and light facing the king of culture. However, he's facing a culture here that has a wicked king. And because of no rain, the brook dries up and that was his sustenance. Too many times, however, when we don't walk by faith, we're trusting the provisions and not the provider we're trusting the brook and not God. When it dries up, we just conclude, well, God must want me to do something else. Or when it gets slim or it gets difficult. I was mentioning before the service, uh, speaking with one, that too often preachers will use a church to build their ministry versus recognizing our responsibility is allow God to use us to build a church, to serve people. And as long as we stay in the servant business, we have job security. And that's our role and responsibility. And Elijah did not leave the brook because it dried up. He only left the brook when God made it crystal clear that he was to move. I say, hunker down and watch God work. You're not going to see miracles if you leave before the miracle worker shows up. And we need to be set and steadfast in our faces as a flint watching God work. Stop looking for that, that comfort zone of convenience. Look for God. And so throughout 1 Kings 17 and 18, we see Elijah, he's quickly and courageously obeying the Lord. We find him coming to Mount Carmel to a showdown with the prophets of Baal. And what a sight to be able to go there. And, and uh, when we were there back in the spring and just seeing, we got a deluge of rain there in Mount Carmel. We didn't actually get to see much while we were getting rained upon. What, what, what irony there. Uh, it's better to have rain than the fire come down. But um, we, were, we, we were able to at least see and get a, a, a perspective of the view. And, but Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal. So I want you to see in chapter 18 where this showdown takes place. But Elijah's a strange bird. He, he's just a strange guy. I, I love Elijah. Uh, I love him because he's, he's a man of conviction and courage. He's also a man just like us, James tells us. 
He did have victory, great victory on the mountain. And he succumbed to pressure and, and he was on the run. He was hiding. He was intimidated by Jezebel. And it reminds me that anytime we experience great victory, victory in our life always makes us vulnerable. That's why we have to sure up the blind spots and the weak areas. That's why we have to maintain the full armor of God. That's why we need to be steadfast and unmovable. However, in spite of his being a man just like us and having the same uh, kind of makeup and the same uh, insecurities and the same weaknesses, he still was a courageous man with conviction. And my question is, what motivated Elijah to go out in such a, a public arena and put God to the test. What was it about Elijah that gave him the, the courage and the confidence in God? Well, there are certain motives for ministry, Elijah's ministry, and certain motives for Elijah's service that I think would help us, that we could adopt in our life. And we find it, I believe, in this simple prayer of Elijah. Remember, he's on Mount Carmel. And he's already prepared the altar, and he's already challenged the false prophets. He's already confronting the culture. He's already establishing the fact that there's only one God, one true God. Notice his prayer in verse number 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench and when all the people saw it. They fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is the God. The Lord, he is the God. And Elijah said unto them, take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slew them there. And Elijah said unto Ahab, get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. What were the motivations of Elijah. What motivated Elijah, I believe, ought to be the same motivations for us. First thing I want you to notice is that he was captivated. Elijah was captivated by the majesty of God. One of the great benefits of worshiping is that we don't have to wait to get to heaven to experience the majesty of God. Notice what he says in that prayer in verse 36. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day, this day that you are God in Israel. 
It's the majesty of God. An accurate understanding of who God is, it will motivate us. I believe it will motivate us to serve him obediently and courageously. That's why on Sunday mornings we're shifting to this matter of, of being introduced and reminded concerning the attributes of God, the majesty of God. That's one motivation. Here's a second motivation. Not only was he motivated by the majesty of God, but number two, the prophet Elijah was genuinely excited about being on the Lord's side. He was excited that he was on the winning side. He declared, notice what he says in verse 36, uh, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that, look at it, I am thy servant. He was just thrilled and excited to be on the Lord's side, to be an, an errand boy for Jesus. I mean, th this is a, a great privilege that we have to be more than conquerors, just to be a servant of his. You recognize what an awesome privilege it is to be a servant of the Most High God? I love what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. We're, we're ambassadors. We're ambassadors from the greatest city, from the greatest country, God's country, not Georgia, but God's country in the sides of the north. And, and we have a great privilege to represent our great king, mighty God. Elijah, I believe, was thrilled to simply be on God's side. Here's another motivation, number three. Notice what he says in um, the verse 36 again. Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant. Now notice, and that I have done all these things at thy word. I believe Elijah was also motivated, number three, by obedience to God. His obedience to God was a motivation. When you examine the life of Elijah, you're going to find that when God spoke, Elijah obeyed. Are you motivated by a desire to be an obedient Christian? Trust and obey. John 2 and verse 5, Mary said unto the servants, Whatsoever he, Jesus, saith unto you, do it. Amen. Motivated to obey. Number 4. Verse 37, he says, Hear me, O Lord, hear me. Number 4, I believe Elijah is motivated. We find in his prayer, he was motivated by his communion with God. Are you motivated that you get to experience God, commune with Him? You say, I'm pretty defeated in my time with God. Well, get undefeated. God's not defeated in that department. It's communion, and He wants to communion with you. Every day, God's coming down into your garden, and He's saying, Adam, where are you? God's looking for you. And Elijah was motivated by his communion with God. 
Communion with Him. How is your communion? Courage and motivation to stand for God in difficult times will be found in unbroken communion with God. That's why we call it a walk. It's a walk with God. You say, well, that's pretty much a given. Yeah, that's what Peter said as well, didn't he? Yeah. But it wasn't a given, was it? Here's another motivation. And this is the last one. Can you believe it? I feel like I need to give you your money back. This is... I'm just holding on. I'm trying to keep the tickle down in my throat and my nose from twitching. I feel like Mary Poppins up here with my nose twitching back and forth, but nothing's happening. Elijah was motivated. Well, let's read this. Read the verse here in verse 37. Hear me, O Lord, hear me. Listen to it. That this people may know that thou art the Lord God and that thou hast turned their heart back again. I believe this last motivation, he was motivated by a concern and a desire for others to know God. It motivated him. He was really motivated that others would really get to know God. A desire for others to know God should compel us to be faithful to our Lord. That's my desire. My, my, my great desire is to see each one of you experience to the greatest potential your capacity of experiencing God. That's what I want to see. I, I, it, it, I hope God will bless you financially and materially as long as you're good stewards of it. But the thing that I long most for is that you would experience to the greatest degree and capacity of your life to know and experience God on this side of heaven. I believe that's his will for your life. And it motivates me to be able to experience God to the greatest degree of capacity in my life so that I can properly lead and, 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 and um, carefully direct us as a church family that we would know this God, this true God, the one who sends fire, the one who is the, the, the true God of heaven, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the founder and the head of his church. Oh, I, I'm motivated to know him so that others too can know him. The Apostle Paul, his great prayer, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, was that he himself would know, experientially know the Lord. Why? Because that's what he wanted for others, to know the Lord. What is, what is it that motivates you? What, what is it that motivates you to be able to retire each evening with your conscience clean? What motivates you in the morning to get up and, and to inquire of the Lord? Lord, what will thou have me to do? What motivates you? You say, I'm, I'm so defeated. But you don't have to be. I've failed so many times. Yeah, but God hasn't. This is why, why Elijah's praying this. That people would know God. The answer, the solution. We are, if we are ever in a mess, 
the good news about your life being a mess is it ought to remind you, you did it. God did it. Come to God. Let God, he's the great cleaner upper. He's the great fixer upper. And he's the one that, that can do better at covering your sin than you and I could ever do at covering our sin. When he covers, he cleanses, and he removes so that we can be as right with God. According to 1 John 1, we can be as right with God as the day we got saved. It's even better than that. 1 John 1, 9 tells us that we can be as right with God as Jesus is. That motivates me. I want people to know him. I hope you do too. Let's stand together, please.